Did you know RGGEDU founders Gary Martin and Robert Grimm originally met at the retail establishment Tea Havana, where Gary picked out a selection of herbal teas for Robert? He was so delighted with the choices that they formed a partnership that blossomed into the photography education powerhouse known as RGGEDU. It's all true. It really happened. Welcome to the RGGEDU podcast. Gary and Rob get down and dirty with some of the top photographers in the industry. Season 5 of the RGGEDU podcast is brought to you by Me Video, who starts each day with one simple goal to create really well made, easy to use travel tripods in a range of sizes and materials for today's on the go photographers. Me Photo, travel light, set up fast, have fun. Be brilliant. In this episode, we're joined with the producer of all producers, the Prince of Production. <laughs> That's a good one. Blaine I like Deutsch. it. I, I need new business cards just right? embossed. Prince yeah. of Production. And Sweet. also Rob Grimm. And, and also, of course, I'm here. Robertus yeah. Grimmis. <laughs> Where else would I be? Yeah. <laughs> the, the Brazilian podcast host, Robertus Grimmis. That's right. So, Blaine, production, you're a producer. Yes. Well, what the heck is that? Hell if I know at this point. It's uh, production honestly changes by the project. Um, you know, I get asked a lot, what does a producer do? It totally depends on the day. Um, the best explanation I've ever been able to give, the best analogy is uh, I get called into a project. The, the creative director, the director, the photographer, whatever the, the nature of the project is, is the architect. They've drawn these beautiful plans they call me in. I'm the general contractor. They give me these plans and say, build this house, figure it out. I would need it to look this good when it's done. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's, that's really what it is. It's, it's me putting together the pieces totally dependent upon what that project calls for. And, um, the way that I kind of pitch myself to photographers, directors is best case scenario. If all goes well, you don't need to worry about a thing. You show up on set, ready to start hitting shutter. Mm-hmm. Everything's taken care of. And your subcontractors deliver and build on time. Yeah, exactly. That's, exactly. That's, that should be kicker. how you position it. <laughs> that, sub, that's exactly. subcontractors won't be late. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Best case. And that's, I mean, that carrying the, the, the metaphor, I mean, that's exactly it. You know, I'm going out and I'm finding the best people for the jobs, the, the stylists, the, the prop masters, the, you know, the grip, gaff, you know, whatever the, the project calls for. You know, it's really finding the best people to bring that, that vision. And because of that, you know, I, I've never really set myself, never really had the desire to set myself up as a full production company because who I surround myself with, again, depends on the project. Changes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a stylist for one project may be great for one look, but might not be the right person for, for a different style. So, you know, that, that combination of people, I have my go-tos, I have my favorites. You know, there, there are people that, you know, they show up on set, they're going to do exactly what you need to do. And it, it's kind of a no brainer. You let them loose. Uh, but ultimately it's, it's finding the right people for that project. You know, it's interesting. I, I think about my own productions and a lot of them, I go, I have the same go-to people. So how many of your productions are you actually having to go out and source the entirety of the crew? Not many, because again, I've got the go-tos and the go-tos go, you know, several people deep. So, you know, it's, um, 
But you produce for so many different types of photographers. You right. do so many different types of productions that you've got to have a pretty deep role of Yeah, it, it, it's, it's all about being deep because you know, not only do you know the person um, and what they can do, but you know their, their entire skill set. You know, this person, you know, would be great for, you know, a certain span of projects. This person, you know, may overlap. They're good for this certain span of projects. So, yeah, it has to be deep. You know, you can't, you can't get by servicing a number of photographers, a number of directors with only one person in each role, you know, and it goes way beyond just, you know, whether or not that person's available. Uh, but, you know, to really having that skill set. So you've got to have a bunch of people for each role, um, just to, just to be able to, you know, put the right. And how long does it take to, how long does it take to mount that mass of people? I mean, cause you cannot just walk in and be a producer on day one, right? I mean, this oh, no. is something that takes years to accumulate. So how long right. do you think it really took you to get to where you, felt like you had completely mastered this and you had that Rolodex that was mm-hmm. deep. I, I'm still building. I mean, it's never, that Rolodex is never done. I'm, right. I'm constantly adding to it. I'm constantly looking for new talents. I'm constantly looking for new people um, in every role um, because there's never, I mean, you never get to a point where like, okay, my list is done. Um, so it, it's taken, you know, it took years in production to build that, but it actually started long before that. Before I was a producer, I was an agency creative. So through that, art directing photo shoots, mm-hmm. I knew a lot of these people. And so, you know, it, it started long before I was ever producing. So, I mean, that's the, you know, honestly, one of the best things to, to keep in mind, you know, somebody that's wanting to go into production is you don't, you can't start production at zero. You want to go into production, it's best to already have a bunch of stuff under your belt. So <clears throat> walk us through your transition from that art director role into a producer. How'd you get there? What, sure. what was, what's the story behind that? <laughs> so, um, as I said, I was an agency producer for about 12 years and, um, was art directing, um, a number of photo shoots. Um, there was a photographer that I had contracted for, um, for a couple shoots in a row, um, through the process of, of working with them, we became close friends. And, um, so uh, the photographer is Corey Rich. He's, he, Corey is kind of the name in adventure sports photography. And so Corey and I became friends through the process, um, which as an aside, I think is key for production, key in anything. You know, it's uh, anytime you're on, you, you come bring together a group of people for production. The fact that they're going to do good work is assumed. Um, ultimately, what it comes down to is do you want to spend several days, you know, several 10, 12 hour days with these people. So, um, it's not uncommon that, you know, people will walk away from production like, Hey, I kind of like you. And, you know, you hope that's the case. So Corey and I got to know each other pretty well. Um, I was still working as a art director and freelancing his, his marketing materials and whatnot, and, uh, get a call one day. And he says, you know, Hey, I'm looking for somebody to help me grow my studio. Um, I've got, you know, I, I like where I am. I want to bring in the bigger projects. I need somebody with, you know, some agency know-how, understands the, the agency landscape, tell me kind of navigate to these bigger projects. Do you know anybody that might be interested? So, you know, kind of knee-jerk reaction. I raised my hand and I said, what about me? And, you know, five weeks later, I was in Lake Tahoe working um, initially as his studio director. And you know, he needed somebody that could kind of bring all the pieces together and, you know, keep things rolling while he's out on production or while he's out on location on a shoot. And How did he know you raised your hand on the phone? <laughs> um, we were actually on question. Skype. <laughs> it's a video yeah. call. Okay. I said, um, I'm raising my hand now. <laughs> I metaphorically raised my hand. All right. So, so what was that first year, two, three, like? 
So the first, I'll say like the first six months um, was working as his studio director, working a lot on marketing, on business development, on just getting the, the workflow together, kind of getting all the pieces together so that, uh, again, much like the producer does, you know, I was making the, as the studio director, was making sure that the only thing he had to worry about was being out on location shooting. And, you know, happy to say that all of our efforts worked because a lot of the big projects started coming in very quickly. And so being just the two of us for a period of time in the office, um, somebody had to find talent. Somebody had to get permits. Somebody had to pull all this together. And by default, I was doing it because somebody had to do it. And it, I was the only person there to do it. Corey's shooting. And so I kind of had this realization at one point while I'm producing. I, I never really considered what a producer did at that point because, you know, as an art director, you just got, don't bother me with it. It's just like, you know, I just need to make need to know this is being done. Mm -hmm. So so that was the first real realization for me or first uh, kind of um, moment for me to realize, oh, OK, I see what the producer does now. So as the bigger projects came in, we brought in somebody else to take my role, studio director, and I became full time producer. And then at that point, it just became uh, larger projects, more complex, uh, more layers. And so you just fell into being a producer. Do you think if you knew what a producer role really was, you would have gone after it? Because it was such a different thing from being his studio, you know, studio guy, studio manager, and, sure. and having that opportunity to move out there. I don't know that I would have moved out there for the opportunity to be producer because, like I said, I didn't really know what it was at that point. And it's not something that I even realized that I had the skill set to do. Um, I've since real, you know, at that point, and I've realized more and more that having worked in the agency definitely prepared me for being a producer because you understand the layers of the project, the necessity to get things done. It's like, you know what, somebody's got to do this. So uh, that definitely helped. But like I said, at the, you know, had the initial call been, do you want to be my producer? I don't know that I've taken it because I didn't it, really understand yeah. what it was at that point. That makes sense. And I think that's pretty common. I've talked to quite a few producers who fell into it. You know, you can go to CalArts, you can go to NYU and get a degree in production. I can honestly, I've never met a producer that has a degree in production. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a really interesting mm -hmm. statement, actually. So yeah. what was the first job that really scared the crap out of you? You're like, <laughs> oh my God, I don't, know, I don't know if I can do this. And it just every night you were just like, oh crap. Yeah. There were, you know, there were certainly a lot of projects that had you know, some fear factor into it because we were, we were doing projects in some pretty hairy situations where, you know, we're on ridgelines at 4 a.m. after a big snowfall and, you know, times where avalanche danger was serious. And, you know, for that reason, you know, a lot of, you know, you always have, you know, your safety guys, some, some uh, productions have security on hand. You know, we had first responders and avalanche experts with us. You know, these are, you know, we, these are people that we knew that were doubling up sometimes as talent or assistants or whatnot, but at least one, if not several of them were skilled in avalanche, you know, preparedness and, you know, backcountry first responder training and whatnot. So there was some fear in that because, you know, it's, you're in a studio, you know, short of, you know, light falling or whatnot, nobody's life is in danger, but, you know, we were in situations where, not only are we, you know, needing to pull together and, and get the shot, we're needing to stay alive at the same time. Uh, the shot, or the, the project that always comes to mind is the one that was kind of like, okay, this is real in so many ways. Uh, we, we shot the project Y, which was the, the launch project for the Nikon D4. And part of that project was shot in Tlapacoy in Mexico. And there were a lot of factors to that that made it really interesting because we were shooting with prototype cameras, a camera that only a small group of people even knew existed at that point. 
and you know learning along the way that the camera industry is all, all like the auto industry where there are spies out there you know mm-hmm. all the all the industry, all the companies have people looking to see what the other people are doing so we had this prototype camera that was shoved into the the body of a previous uh, model huh. but then we're still even despite that you know we're understanding the fact that People, there are people out there looking to put the pieces together. You know, Corey was a, is a Nikon ambassador. And so somebody sees him, somebody that understands the industry sees him on location, a little red light goes off. Seriously? Absolutely. We were like spy games. Yeah, it really was. We were, at a, we were shooting at a waterfall in Tlapacoyan, and there was a man there as a bird watcher. You know, would be watching birds, but every time we'd start rolling, his camera would swing towards us. And, Seriously? Yeah, so, so we had to Did do— Did you go rough him up? We didn't. We, we had, a, we had a, a local fixer with us that made sure that he kind of moved along. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and that became part of the, you know, part of the realization that, you know, we're, we're having to do kind of these evasive maneuvers while we're shooting. But then also the fact that, you know, we're in the jungles of Mexico. Um, there are a lot of things that were kind of against our odds at that point. You know, we've got, you know, we were, you know. Pumas. <laughs> Probably. Pumas would have been the least of our worries at that, at that point. <laughs> really? What yeah. were the biggest worries? Uh, you know, there were, you know, there were concerns with, with um, you know, we were concerned we'd be get, taken, get you know, kidnapping, yeah. you know, um, theft, you know, being, being rolled, whatnot. So, yeah. you know, that, that was something that, you know, we had to, we didn't let it, you know, deter us or shut it down. But, you know, like any sort of travel, you know, go, enjoy, embrace, but be smart about it. Speaking of taken, do you prefer... Taken one, two, or three with Liam Neeson. I haven't seen any of them. You haven't seen any of the no, movies? Zero. They're all no. great. They're all so no, good. I've seen none of them. I, I'm, seen I'm, of I'm them? lukewarm with Liam Neeson. I'm oh, not going to lie. Really? Yeah. Have you even seen him? No, none of them. See? None of them? Yeah, none ah. of them. I'm not alone. As yeah. a Thank producer? You, yeah. Thank you, yeah. Brian. He, he has all the solutions. Someone gets taken, just follow his lead, yeah. and boom. <laughs> See, that, that's dream. You know, it's called Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. That's not how it really happens. So how do you... Seriously, though. Don't change the subject. When you, when we talk about Liam Neeson. That's <laughs> <laughs> how it goes all the time. Every time. Without fail. <laughs> Without question. <laughs> Without question. You're going to do it again, aren't you? No, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, how do, you, how do you even know where to call? Like, you're, go, you're going into crazy places in the jungle in Mexico. Mm-hmm. How do you find a local fixer? I mean, you've got you've got to be methodical. You've got to figure out. Okay, I need to find somebody who is well versed in avalanche safety. Mm-hmm. I need to find a local fixer. Where do you even begin? How do these phone calls begin? How how does that information source come up for you? None of the traditional sources. You don't go online. You don't go. You know. You don't Google. You know, like local fixer Tlapacoyan because those resources don't exist. It's all about kind of following the path that you're going to take or that you want to take and see how that's going to get you to the right person. We were there um, to capture footage of a uh, whitewater um, kayaker mm-hmm. um, running a waterfall. So, And this is a waterfall that is well-known within the kayaking community. So what it starts with... The kayaking community. Kayaking community, yeah. exactly. It's, you know, it's, it's going to the experts, and the experts aren't necessarily always the fixers. The experts are the people that are doing or have done what you're looking to do. Right. And so... You know, and then that becomes your starting point. Hey, can you hook me up with somebody local? Do you, here's what we're looking to do. Can you put me in touch with the right people? So that's exactly how that came about. So we were able to get, uh, you know, all of our, our accommodations and, you know, our, you know, our, our fixer and security and everything taken care of through local connections in the kayaking community. 
Well, you're yeah. still worried about getting rolled, about getting taken. Like, how do you? How do you get a sense of security or, okay, you know, we have to trust these people. They're mm-hmm. going to be our security guys. Yeah. Never met them. Have no, you have no idea about them of who mm-hmm. they really are. But you've got to put your life in their hands. Right. In, in this case, literally. It's the same rule of thumb that I apply to any new crew member that I'm going to bring onto a shoot. I will not bring anybody onto a shoot that I don't either know personally or can have vetted by somebody that I know. Um, there will never be a, a, an unknown on any of my productions. You know, even if it's a, a hairstylist, you know, I need to know that when they get there, they're going to be doing, you know, kind of what they, what they're hired to do and what they're, they're right. said to be an expert at. So for that reason, I either need to have firsthand experience of what they do or somebody that I trust can vouch for them. And it's the same way with the fixers. You know, it's, you know, we had talked to a number of kayakers that had paddled the area and everybody, you know, um, you know, unprovoked pointed to the same person. So it's like, okay, now we, we know, we know we can trust this person. That's amazing. So shoots after that, did you have any shoots that everything just went to shit for things that you had no control over? Not to, not yeah. to put you on the spot. Yeah. I like the bad things. You better not but, say one of my productions, yeah. by the way. So I'm shooting for the, I'm producing <laughs> for this beverage bread. shooter one time. And man, yeah. and tell you what. drank all the booze and no one <laughs> thought <laughs> that was going to yeah. happen, yeah. but mm-hmm. it did. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. would have been the case. Yeah. I d- the the rule of thumb of having all crew vetted came through an experience like that that I, I learned the hard way. Um, I had been given a recommendation on a shoot for somebody that could do catering and crafty for us. And, you know, it was a shoot that came together pretty quickly, and I just needed to roll as fast as I could. So, great, I've got a name, lined this person up, and it was an absolute nightmare. It just fell apart. And it was, you know, luckily... You know, having the rest of the crew that was, uh, you know, very, very well, very capable and that worked together very well. We all rolled with it. It was fine. Everybody got food and whatnot. Uh, But it I mean, it was to the way it could have shut us down. It had people not kind of played along with it because, I mean, we're, you know, we're shooting in the middle of nowhere and we need food. And, you know, that's they put onions on the pizza, didn't they? They they did. Yeah. You you know, my rules. Unacceptable. Yeah. Uh, so I threw it in his face. You put corn, <laughs> and I said, put corn on the pizza. <laughs> hey, that's in fashion these days. Don't knock corn on the pizza. No. I mean, I, don't I, even say I Hawaiian pizza. Oh, Hugh. I love, you, don't like, <laughs> you don't like pineapple you just, on your pizza? You just, like, that's not pizza. You, it, How he, is that not pizza? He's going to unfriend you on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Sweet and savory. <laughs> it's the juxtaposition of taste. <laughs> don't throw juxtaposition at me. That's my word. <laughs> well, you didn't use it yet, so I thought I'd throw it out there. I'm waiting for the right time. You stole it from me. Damn it. Now I can't use it. <laughs> All right, so the worst thing that's ever happened in your production is food didn't show up. Yeah. That's pretty that's pretty yeah, good. That's I feel pretty, pretty, pretty I feel like, you know, feel very fortunate in the fact I've had a really good track record. Um and it it's all about planning and doing the homework and having a plan, having a backup plan, having the backup plan for the backup plan. And you know, there are you know, there certainly have been shoots that there could have been things out of our control. You know, an extension uh another location of the Y shoot. Uh, we were capturing um, a, a free climber, a, a, a free soloist, a climber that was climbing without a rope, without any protection. Um, you know, he's 40 feet off the ground. And, you know, this is this is somebody that does this for a living. So we had to trust that he was doing what you know, he did. This is Alex. Yeah. Yes, this is Alex Honnold. And uh, Alex is the best of what he does. And so, you know, like any he's other insane. buddy. I can't believe what he does. Yeah. Oh. It, like watching him right. makes so me nervous. so nervous. <laughs> But it's what's really impressive about him is he has the same mindset of anybody else that I would have on a crew is what he does. He does so well and so calculated. He's 
honestly, probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. And because people will look at him and say, oh, this guy's obviously, you know, some psycho and, you know, he's just, you know, he's got a death wish. And he's one of the most calculated people I've ever met. So, you know, when he, you know, when he walks up to a rock and he's going to do that, he knows exactly what he's getting himself into. And, if, and in situations like that, there has to be an understanding. And this is something that has to be conveyed to the client, to everybody around, to everybody and crew that ultimately Alex has the call. If he walked up, he put on his shoes, he chalks up and says, you know what, guys, this doesn't feel right. We have to respect that. Right. Yeah. So how does that affect the budget for the, the client that's paying for that? Is that something you write into it and say, hey, we might have to spend two, three, four days out here? Yeah, that's something that and, and every every budget has some contingencies built into that, you know, whether it, it's called a weather day or, you know, we have, you know, a project like that there's always something built in because you can't control human nature. You can't control weather. Um, there are certain things that are going to come about that, you know, you might have to work around. Yeah. One of the things that, that I think you said that it, it's so important, you talked about having a backup to your backup to mm-hmm. your backup. I, I, and not, not to overly pay you a comp- compliment, <laughs> but you're the best producer I've ever worked with. Thanks. I've had producers that have come to me and told me the problem that they're having or what's going wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, You've come to me with three solutions to the problem that you're about to tell me. So you're like, hey, I want to talk to you about this. I'm going to give you X, Y, Z recommendations. Here's what the issue is. And then I can just make a decision. And I don't have to worry about what's going to be the solution. There are so many there at, 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 right at my fingertips. Um, so I think that's a, a real point of distinction. I don't know how, if enough producers are aware that that's really how you need to operate, that you have to have so many backups in place because when you're coming together and mm-hmm. client money is on the line, you can really waste a lot of money if you don't have it all buttoned up. Oh, absolutely. And that's something that is, I've become very adamant about with my own productions, and I've had the opportunity to, to mentor a lot of younger producers and, uh, you know, and, and really at, you know, anybody that's uh, coming into the industry I try to instill this upon is exactly that. Never present a problem unless you have an, a solution to match it. And, you know, until you have a solution, you need to keep things rolling. And that doesn't mean keep secrets and that doesn't mean hide stuff. That means you need to keep things rolling along best you can until you have the solution. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. Because quite frankly, when a photographer is on set and trying to work and the producer comes to you with a problem, that can knock you off your flow. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is is not what the photographer needs Mm -hmm. at all Mm -hmm. Um, or the rest of the crew. It It can throw everybody kind of in a tailspin. And I think a lot of that comes, too, from experience, having been an art director and being on location with other photographers. And I've seen shoots fall apart and it's not pretty. And they, they've fallen apart for reasons that they really shouldn't have. But that's exactly, that, that's kind of the linchpin is something happens that flusters a photographer. And that can happen to anybody behind the camera because mm-hmm. you're so focused. And the only thing you should be focusing on is what you see through the lens. And, you know, you, you, you've got that singular focus and that's, that's what you're being paid to do. And, yeah, I've seen people, you know, you've know, seen shoots fall apart because, you know, you see somebody panicking. And, you know, and, and that's, that's part of it too, is, you know, like I said, not keeping secrets, but keeping it together. There've been times that I've been on set and, you know, it's apparent kind of to the side that, you know, there's the discussion going on with the client and myself and, you know, maybe a crew member or whatnot that, you know, there's something, something's gone wrong. Something's about to go wrong. You know, we, there's an issue and, you know, we're working through it and, uh, an art director or client, somebody will say to me, you know, 
why aren't you freaking out? Aren't you worried about this? And the answer is always the same. I said, are you freaking out? They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, good. Well, then that's checked off the list. Somebody freaking out. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I don't have to do it then. Hey, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's so, it's so counterproductive for anybody to freak out. It, it just, it's, I mean, that's one of the things that will really like shut down and spoil the, the mood of a shoot. Um, but it's probably between myself and the photographer, or the director, those are the, the worst two roles to freak out because I need to keep it all together for everybody. And so, you know, I do all I can to, you know, I'm, I'm the one that will always be smiling in the back of my head. I'm like spinning like a clock trying to figure all these <laughs> things out. Um, but it does nothing for the overall morale if I'm walking around throwing things and yelling things. So yeah. I'm curious as a photographer, what are some of the things that you've seen that have put a photographer in a tailspin and tank to shoot? Things that shouldn't, wow. you know, things that, you know, it's maybe something that, um, had been communicated to them that, you know, they, they were off somewhere else and they, they didn't get the communication or it's, you know, maybe there, there's a, a difference in the shot list that hadn't been communicated to them that it's, you know, it's never been, you know, you know, something, something huge happened. It's, it's, right. it's always just, it's those little, it's those little nicks. How about that one time you were working for the photographer who was all hopped up on a Vicodin right before you had hip surgery? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, you know, it, it, it's, those, it's those beverage photographers. I'm telling you, they, they, they're a mess. So. All right, That's a so true story. Compare and contrast preparing for a photo shoot versus a video shoot. Sure. So I think that go, not everybody can or should or even wants to kind of cross that line between still and motion. Uh, the same reason, you know, a lot of photographers have made the move to, to motion and a lot of still producers have made the move to, to motion production. Some have done it because they have the skill set or they're really interested in it. And some have done it because, well, that's what everybody else is doing. So I guess I might as well. And that, that applies to producers and to the shooters. And I think because everybody else is doing it is the wrong reason to do it. There's, a lot of parallels between a producer making that move and a photographer making the move to to director or to you know to, to motion DP, because it's not you know, the thing that I, I tell to to students or to people I'm mentoring is motion is not still photography at 24 frames per second. It's there's a linear component that either you get or you don't, and you can learn it. You can be a very skilled still photographer and really embrace and really study and un come to understand the linear quality of a motion shoot. Uh, but the, the majority of the people that make that jump already get it. They, they understand that. And these are people that, that already understand the, the components of storytelling. They under, already understand what it takes to put all those pieces together. And now producing a shoot like that, that ability to embrace the, the linear nature of it is just completely amplified because what you need to do then is, you know, when you have a, a still shoot and you've got your shot list, you can kind of, it's usually broken out by location. It's like, okay, well, if we have a couple different locations, a couple different sets, we build efficiencies in there. We're going to, you know, decide, okay, well, we'll get these couple shots in this because they're all the same location. Then we do a company move to the other location and it just makes sense. It's just build efficiencies. With a, a motion shoot, it's that, but amplified by many times because not then are you only worrying about locations you're worrying about lighting and time of the day and what talent do we have on set who's coming to set there are all those different variables that you have to understand that there is despite the fact that motion is 
a linear timeline driven medium, it becomes anything but linear at that point because you're pulling things from all different directions to make to build all those efficiencies. And, and that's really what one of the key things to producing is building efficiencies, because like you said, you know, ultimately, I hate the fact that this is the biggest factor, but it's it's money. You know, somebody is writing a check to to put this shoot together and, you know, you need to make that dollar go as far as you can and get as much as you can um, with with the constraints or with the time that you're given. You know, let's talk about money because it, it, it's a tough thing, particularly for photographers who are really trying to round the corner. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think a photographer can best communicate with a potential client or mm -hmm. a client about the need and the role to have a producer on a shoot and the difference that it can make in the shoot? Because mm -hmm. producers and good producers in particular are not cheap, mm -hmm. right? Um, so how does a photographer get that message across? I think the best way to convey the message and the best way to really use the skills of that producer is to bring them in as soon as absolutely possible, because not only does that help build those efficiencies, it becomes an immediate and early sign to the client that, okay, I understand why this person needs to be here, because the, their, the benefit of their role becomes immediately apparent, because you know, the producer is there making suggestions and, and explaining why certain things need to happen the way that they do and why things, certain things maybe shouldn't happen. And these aren't necessarily things that, you know, the photographer would miss, or the photographer wouldn't understand, but you've got the producer who is owning that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot that happens very early on that will dictate the rest of the shoot. And so I, I think that, uh, you know, and ma maybe it's not always, it doesn't always make sense to bring somebody in early in, uh, but get the producer on the phone with the client, at least start, bring them into the conversation just so that the client can understand who this person is. Because, you know, I, I get it, you know, as an art director, I didn't really understand what producers were. It didn't really, you know, it, it didn't, you know, hit my radar at all. It wasn't something I was concerned with. But then I saw a producer working and it's like, okay, I get it. I understand this because a producer will say a lot of things that I've said. It's like, you know, you've hired this photographer to shoot. That's the only thing that they should be worried about. And a producer, a good producer will come in and they will give a client maybe some worst case scenarios like, okay, you know, if a photographer is shooting and this happens, one of two things happens. The producer handles it and you keep rolling or the photographer has to stop, but the clock keeps ticking. Mm -hmm. Do you ever do... Bidding for the photographers? Quite a bit, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. How many of the, uh, what percentage of the photographers do you actually do the bidding for? You I'd never say, did it for me, but I'm curious as to how many other guys you really... Probably half of the projects that I do, I build the estimate on. Wow. And that's, that's still in motion. That's significant. Mm -hmm. It's actually more than I would think. Yeah. And that's something that I, I request and I really kind of suggest to people. And it goes back to coming into the conversation as early as you can, because the... You know, the other 50% of the time, the times that I'm not building the estimate, I get a shot list and a budget and say, okay, here's what we're right. trying to accomplish. It can be done. We'll figure it out. We'll find a way that if it's somebody that's been through the process many times and they've got their process all buttoned yeah. up, chances are it's going to be okay. But I come in early on, I build the estimate or I work with the photographer to build the estimate and we're doing this together we can head off a lot of things very early or we can build those efficiencies in very early. And, you know, that's, it just, it really helps. It helps the creative process a lot too, because I've, I've sat at the table with creative directors and they've had an idea and say, yeah, absolutely. We can do that. That's not in this budget, 
but here's a way we can do it differently. It's going to cost a lot less. We're going to have the same result. So what are the areas where, if you're given a budget by a photographer, Mm -hmm. they've already done the estimate, what are the areas that you're seeing them make the biggest mistakes in? Like they didn't account for something or they didn't have enough money allocated. Are there specific things that photographers are just not getting? Yeah, I usually see... um, I see a lot of people try to skimp on, again, craft services and catering where, well, you know, we'll, we'll get a couple things, you know, we'll, we'll order pizza or whatnot, yeah. and it's fine. Uh, on a small sh- one-day shoot, that's fine. You know, people will get by. Uh, if it's a bigger shoot, a happy crew, a well-fed crew is a happy crew, mm-hmm. and a happy crew is a productive crew. So I see a lot of people trying to skimp there. Uh, I see... Yeah, that's a that's a number that really can actually add up very very quickly, and it's like, whoa, that's exactly money for food. Right, right. right. Um, I see, and again, this is dependent upon the shoot and what the shoot um, dictates. I see a lot of people skimping on talent. Well, I'll just we'll find people I know with somebody and whatnot. There are some great unrepresented talent out there. Any town you're going to find people that can do the job. And everybody has a good-looking friend. Everybody has a good-looking friend. But the moment you step out... (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm talking 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 to you. (laughs) Uh, The the danger that you run into the moment you step outside of agency talent is you run into the higher chance of no-shows. And... That that will shut down your day. You know, if you don't you don't have talent there, you don't have a shoot. They just don't show up. Exactly. And if you have agency talent, they don't show up. You get the agent on their call, on the phone. They will be there. That that agent will go drag them out of their house and bring them to your studio. I did have an agency one time tell the uh, tell the talent the wrong week. Oh. So we were sitting there. Yeah. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And oh. see, and that's something too. That you know, that's she was accountable though. Okay. And she got the model there. Yeah. Got her up. Okay. And, and see, and that's why you know. A good agent is a producer in a sense, too. They, they will fix it, and they will get that person there or somebody there. But, you know, that's the type of thing, too, you know, from, you know, kind of having a plan, having the backup plan. That's part of it is making sure all those things are checked off. You know, the night before, 48 hours before a shoot, I'm going through and I'm confirming with everybody, you know, making sure, um, you know, you've got the information, you know where to be, you understand what's going on. That's, I mean, that's essential. You want to do a little role play? Ooh. All right. <laughs> everybody, hang you, on. everybody hang on I don't know, what, I don't know what, where this is going What do we have to wear? I'm a photographer And I've just been awarded a job Congratulations I need a, I need a producer Yeah So I call you up mm-hmm. And I say I just got this job And of course the agency needs it done In a week and a half mm-hmm. And I've already given them the budget What are the questions you ask me Moving forward When someone calls you to, to hire you? The first question is always if it's somebody that I haven't worked with before and it's a photographer that, you know, they, they got the they we've got worked the twice before. We've worked twice we've before. Worked twice. OK. OK. So well, then the, the, the first question, which we probably understand at that point, is what are you what do you need from me? So five studio shots and five location shots of product and lifestyle with four models. OK. <laughs> this is getting very specific. Man. Well, wow. I don't know. Wait, what's call time? That's your that's your job. I don't know what call time Okay, is. are there any food allergies? Well, I just know that I, I just know that <laughs> That's that's a are legitimate you, actually, question. That is a legit question. Yeah. Are you vegan? Yes. Well, it's funny because that that's one of the things that goes going back to catering and craft services. You know, when I when I pull together kind of like my A list, you know, if, if I'm working locally and I pull together everybody that I want to be on on the shoot, there's myself the vegan, another vegetarian, a um a gluten intolerance um we've got you know like all sorts of everything yeah yeah. all kinds of stuff and a lot of people look at that and pass that off it's like don't worry about that no this 
the safety of your crew is just as important as anything else. So. There's Rob also has a, there, Rob has a green pepper allergy. No, it's just a hatred of. Yeah. I know your your reaction to that is it's immense wine. Severe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'll wine for twenty minutes a, about yeah. green peppers. I did yeah. have a All client right. once. Yeah. I'll never forget this on the Macy's annual report. He requested cold poached salmon and cold poached asparagus for breakfast wow. every day. I, he he had his is crazy. All right, back to this Total role premium. play. <laughs> back, back to the, to the role, role play. play. All right, what are the what are the initial questions yes. you're going to ask? Um, <laughs> So the first thing that I want to sit down is to sit down and go over the shot list. Okay. Because the, I, I never want to come off as the, you know, the devil's advocate or the naysayer. But the very first question is, how possible is this? Because I have a lot of projects come to me that, okay, hey, we need, we need to shoot this next week. This just got approved. We get, need to get this rolling right away. Uh, there are certain parameters that are outside of our control. Well, I need to shoot next week. We need to shoot in a national park. Well, some national parks require a 30-day um, permit process, and that's completely non-negotiable. So it, it's going through and first just understanding the feasibility of it. There's a way around everything, and it's, you know, whether it's, you know, if it's someplace, if you can find someplace that is, you know, comparable or, you know, getting on the call and getting on the phone and, you know, kind of pleading your case. Whatnot. There are ways around everything, but the, the very first thing you have to understand or you have to um, kind of seek out is, what issues are we potentially looking at? And then it's, you know, what do we need to pull together? What do you have in place already? And how soon can you and I sit down with the creative director, the art director, and really, really flesh this out? Because a shot list, a budget, yeah, that's pretty defined, but that's only part of the story because there's a lot that the creative director may be looking for that's not included on either of those. So you're bringing additional things to right. the table. Exactly. I'm making it more complicated. <laughs> Rob? Gary? How you doing? I'm thinking about cold poached salmon. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds delicious. No. All right, so leading, <laughs> leading up to, I've always found this fascinating, that leading up to a shoot is when the producer is the most busiest. Mm -hmm. What are you doing on set normally? Like, what, what, is your, what is your responsibilities? Again, depending on the shoot, but for the most part, I'm kind of the eye in the sky, making sure that all the, all the parts are moving as they should. And it varies a little bit between a still shoot and a motion shoot, um, what my responsibilities are, what crew the budget allowed for. Um, sometimes I'll have a PA that is, you know, managing talent, taking care of releases, moving talent between uh, makeup and set. Uh, I've had some shoots, you know, if, if we've got a really large um, talent pool, we'll have a talent PA. And that's their, that's their sole responsibility is to move talent. So um, making sure that everybody's moving the, the places they should. Making sure that at, something that I don't let go of is that shot list, making sure that we are moving through, getting approval from the client. Yes, you're content. Well, if we have on this, you're happy. Okay, this is done. We're moving on. Um, you know. I'm the one that crosses through things on the list to say, we've got this. And I cross through it when the client says yes. Uh, same thing with um, a motion shoot. You know, okay, we've got this scene. You know, we've watched playback. Everybody's happy with it. Okay, we're moving on. Uh, if it's big enough, the budget allows, we'll have a script supervisor there. And, and they're, they're managing that. So, again, that I can kind of be as external as possible watching everything move. Uh, a lot of times... You know, being external also means hanging with the client, making sure that they're happy. Uh, 
working as a buffer between the client and the photographer or director. Um, one of the very first things that I do um, if we sit down with the, the client or if the first time that maybe the whole client group is together is on set is kind of gather them all together and say, okay, who's your point person? Because the, I don't want a lot of different voices getting to the photographer, the director. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of, we talk, usually they have, you know, it, it's the art director, the creative director, whoever's kind of driving the creative on the project, they become the point person. And then, you know, we, we have a very frank discussion, you know, okay, you're the point person, you talk to me, I'll take it to the photographer director. And it's not an attempt to play the phone game, it's just to keep it very direct. Because the the last thing proper channels. Absolutely. The proper channels are key because it keeps thing it keeps the photographer very focused, but then it also avoids any sort of confusion when voice A says one thing and voice B says something else. How have you seen the quality of PAs over the years? Hmm. Are we bullish or we, we <laughs> kind of, it depends where you go i mean the there used to be an attitude of you know a pa you know is anybody with two hands in a heartbeat it's like well they're just carrying stuff around and whatnot um going back to the idea of kind of having having vetted people and whatnot any person that i have on set as a pa is somebody who is really interested in the industry uh they're either interested or they somehow know the industry i've had former talent you know models as as pas because they understand set etiquette. Set etiquette is absolutely essential for everybody that walks on on that set. And I want somebody that is looking to learn it or already understands it from prior experience. So what is set etiquette? And why don't we call it set etiquette? Set etiquette. Set etiquette. <laughs> Where is, where's the accent? Set, set, can we call it set etiquette? Sure. Okay. I mean, if we're going to mix it up, let's mix it There's up. No okay. rules here. Okay. Excellent. You Set a K. Get an umlaut in there. I don't know somewhere. why yeah. you're wearing pants, but you can take them off. Oh, I'm not wearing <laughs> pants. <laughs> By the way, stop looking. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm not even mad. He's depressed. <laughs> I'm not even mad. It's impressed. It's no pants Friday. Yeah. All right. So, so let's, set go a, back, let's go back to Setiquette. Setiquette. Because if you don't really set the expectation mm-hmm. of what that is, it can be distracting for a right. PA to, you know, be talking to the wrong person absolutely on their phone snapchatting or taking a picture of something they shouldn't be taking right and and you touch on that that's probably one of one of the most important and becoming even more important um there are so many ndas involved with uh with projects now and embargoes and whatnot and with social media just getting bigger and bigger that um brands understandably so have become very protective of their of their assets so you know it's usually you know at the beginning of every morning there's a crew meeting here's what the day looks like here are the expectations put your phone away lock it up put it wherever in addition to that there's signs everywhere there's signs in the rv there's signs on the the set doors or whatever the location is no phones and um you know and Unfortunately, you know, it's definitely run into situations where, you know, I'll be, you know, in a car, maybe a company move from one location to the next. I'm flipping through Instagram and there's a picture of our set. So it's like, you know, then it's taking somebody's side. So you be have like, to be the cop. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, that's definitely a big part of it. Set a kit also. Uh, see, now it just flows. It flows. I like that, though. I'm going to. Yeah. Let's yeah. go with it. Good job. That's good. Set a kit TM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's. This is something that you hear a lot on on sets and on location, and I don't say it derogatorily because sometimes this comes with kind of a stigma of stay in your department, but it's important because everybody is hired there for a certain role. 
And it's, you know, if you are there to be a gaffer, be a gaffer. If you're there to be a stylist, be a stylist. The exception to that rule is sometimes things happen or sometimes, you know, weather moves in. It's like, okay, crap, we need to get everything out of here. Anybody that knows how to coil a cord, coil a cord. Because, you know, they're, they're, there's gear at stake at this point. You know, we need to get people out of here. It's for safety and whatnot. So it's understand why you're there. Respect why everybody else is there. But if the opportunity comes about, don't be so stuck to your department that you're stubborn and, and ego-driven about it. So, uh, you know, and I know there's... A, you see some differences in that between the still world and the motion world because the motion world, there's still a lot of the motion world that lives by the old Hollywood rules that it, and it's very union driven that if you're not very compartmentalized, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're there as a gaffer, you know, if it's not, you know, plugged in, it has a bulb, they don't touch it right. and yeah, you get fired for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Which seems crazy. To yeah. Me, and, and I understand that because, you know, the, the, the union, I understand the, the role of the unions yeah, within it. And so I, I, it's, it's nothing against that, but it's, you know, if there are, if policies allow and whatnot, things need to be, get, we need to be done and you know how to do it, lend a hand because ultimately, you know, we are all there for the same purpose and nothing happens on set by the virtue of a single person. So, you know, we talk about these different compartments where mm-hmm. people really have these specialized jobs and they, they have a specific role. How important is it to you, or do you have a really solid understanding of all those roles? Like, you know, a great photo assistant will know what the photographer needs ahead of time. Mm-hmm. That, that's the same with a producer. I mean, you're thinking not only about where you are in the moment of the production, but you're thinking ahead. Um, how critical is it for you to understand all the different roles that people perform on a set? I think it's essential. Yeah. Um, one of the the bits of advice that I get to give to anybody that is wanting to come into the industry, you know, I get the question all the time, how do I become a producer? How do I become a director? I tell them, go watch a movie and watch the rolling credits and find, find the role that you want to play. But before you do that, find out what everybody else does. Spend some time really getting to know. And if you have the opportunity, spend some time in the, all those different departments because there's yeah there's a bit of respect that comes with that because you understand why everybody else is there but it also informs what you do so much knowing what each department does knowing what the director does knowing what the photographer does informs me to what i can ask for and what i can what can be driven and in what can happen there and you know if you don't understand what somebody does or understand their role there you don't know what you can ask them no you can't speak the language exactly and the language is a huge part of it it's totally huge I don't expect to, um, you know, anybody to confuse me with a, a, a you know, a gaffer. I, I don't understand all that. You know, there's a science to, to lighting a scene. But I know enough to say, you know, hey, the photographer just asked for a fork or the director asked for, for a 4K. It's like, you know, having understanding the language, right. understanding you know, yeah. when somebody says something, at least know what they're talking about so that you can deliver that information. And like I say, and the biggest thing is it's it's respect. It's understanding why everybody is there. Did you see the uh, credits of Guardians of the Galaxy two? Did you see the movie? No, I did not. Oh, it is so. Was long. Liam Neeson yeah. in that one too? <laughs> I think he might have been yeah. just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But I remember watching that because mm-hmm. normally you don't stay for the credits. Sure. They really invested in getting people to stick around. It was really entertaining credits. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most entertaining credits I've ever seen. But watching all of the people, like maybe over a thousand mm-hmm. at least just like who is managing all these people that was my number one right. thing is how do you manage all of these people to get something done right. like, that well sounds... and a movie like that there's so much cgi in that movie uh, where yeah, the that, advent of yeah. cgi and the addition of cgi to so many movies that has taken 
credit lists yeah, exponentially. Yeah. It's it's amazing. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually do. Deborah and I actually always stay for the credits. Mm-hmm. We watch every movie. Yeah, pretty much every Even single movie. And actually, it's, it gets annoying because we always have to stand up because people will get up in, you know, in front yeah. of you and they'll kind of slowly move. And we are genuinely like, interested in who was involved and what roles. And, um, and, and maybe that's just our, our own background, but yeah. it's, it's something that we find yeah. kind of Does interesting. Does this go back to you really wanting to be the best boy in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> Ever since Ferris Bueller, I watched you the credits. You can talk about it, Rob. I, I, take, I take back my handsome friend comment earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take it back. Yeah. It's, it's retracted. Obvious. Yeah. It's obvious. <laughs> there's always there, there's always a fun little um, you know spark when you're you're watching the credits and it's like oh yeah I worked with that guy and it's right. you know it's fun it's just kind of see where wherever it's like a yearbook for everybody in the industry. Yeah, it's actually, like, if you're yeah. in the industry, it is kind of a yearbook. That's, yeah, that's a very good way of looking mm-hmm. at it. So. Hmm. Stay and watch the credits, Gary. You might see a familiar name. You might learn to, something I do now. Good. Not yeah. a boy. Yes. You? Especially if I'm weeping from the ending. <laughs> I don't want to go into the light. Reading the credits and the tears. <laughs> the ugly tears. Eye. I'm going to stay here for yeah. a second. Leave me alone. Oh, I dropped my keys. Leave me alone, you, Mom. He wept at Piglet's Big Adventure again. Oh, I, I believe it. That's you touching. Know, what's, all right. What's the last movie you cried at? I'll tell you mine. If you tell oh, me that I cried at. Oh. Or it could be at, in the comfort of your own home. It's the last at. movie that made you cry. That wasn't Braveheart. Can't be brave. I can honestly say, I don't know if that. I'm an emotional guy, but I don't cry at movies a lot. I, honestly, I cried the news more than I cried yeah. at movies. I think <laughs> the only movie I've ever cried at was Schindler's List. Because, I mean, that's, a rough one. that's awful. Yeah. Right, what was the last movie you saw? No Country for Old Men. That was the last movie you saw? Yeah. In well, theaters? not in the theaters. No, 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 not in the theaters. <laughs> My God, damn. Wait, has has there been anything out since then? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, last, I'll have to admit, I don't go to the theater as often as I should because I, it, but I do watch movies a lot and I like to watch them at home because I dissect movies. Yeah. And a lot of that is, you know, that's just my nature. When I was an agency creative, when I was a designer, I'd go through a magazine 10 times before I actually read anything. Cause I want to see the layout and I want to see, you right. know, how it's all put in. And that's how I watch movies now too, especially documentaries. It's like, I want to like really pick into the production of that. So I like to watch movies at home so that I can stop. I can rewind. I can, you know, really kind of pick through it. So you're pulling it apart for the production value. Absolutely. You're, take, you're looking at a movie, not just for the storyline and the, and the cinematography you're pulling it apart for production. Absolutely. So you that's can't cool. even really watch the movie for what it is. You're like, how do they, well, you know, right. actually, I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So do you think people can really learn a lot about a movie if they – hey, if, you're, if you want to be a producer, what do you look for in a movie to pull it apart to say, okay, here's what they did? Mm-hmm. Like, here's, how do you assess the production value of a, of a movie? Look at the lighting. Look at the, the movement. Um, because I think especially in this day and age with, with motion work, you know – Everybody wants camera movement, you know, whether it's drone, it's a slider, it's whatnot, it's time lapse, um, because that's so big right now. Whatnot is big right now. Whatnot is huge. Yeah. I mean, it's even bigger than, than who's it? It's bigger than what have you. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you like that, don't you? That's good. That's good. You've upped your comedy game this Thank time you, around. Buddy. <laughs> so what do you think, What what is your lasting advice or advice to people that may want to get into production how do you how do you set off on a path to become the producer and how long is that going to take so one of the things that i've learned along the way and this was a bit of advice that was handed to me when i started in production and it was originally intended for photographers but i think it applies to 
producers quite a bit too. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying. It's like, you know, good work is assumed. That's expected. What goes beyond that? So the idea is, okay, you are a photographer, you are a producer, whatever like your chosen role is. You're an expert in that. Awesome. Now become an expert in something else because you need to have, you need to bring your own voice to it because a lot of the logistics, not to say that production is easy because it's not, there's a lot of moving parts and it can be super stressful, but there's, it's, there are checks to it and there are lists and whatnot. What really make, what really sets people apart is what else do you bring to it aside from production? And, you know, the, the easiest way to illustrate is, is, you know, in the sense of a photographer. Okay. You know, Rob, you're a photographer, you know, you, you understand, you know, the exposure triangle and you know, you understand, you know, how to take a good photo. Mm-hmm. That's expected. Somebody comes and hires you. They expect that you're going to get a well-composed photo. What else do you bring to it? You bring a love of food. You, you understand what it takes to put a drink together, to put a good dish together. That's something. And again, the language we were talking about with the different roles, you bring an under an intimate understanding to that, that, uh, that a lot of people can't. And because of that, that raises your ability to capture an image. You're looking for things that a lot of people would miss. Um, you know, when, when I, when I was working in Corey's studio, you know, he, he's shooting rock climbing photography, you know, you, you could put a lot of people behind a camera at a rock climber and they're going to shoot something, but they're, they may not understand you know, the nuances and the nuances are what's going to make a picture, a great picture. And, you know, to, to understand the sport, to understand all the details behind it. And so that same rule applies to production. It's, you know, what, what can I bring aside from, you know, just being able to fill out a cruise sheet and, you know, build a schedule? What do I bring to the table? And, you know, I think, my, you know, kind of the, the feather in my cap, the thing that I really, I can hang my, my talent on or hang my success on. I absolutely love documentary work and not every project that I work on is documentary in nature, but there's so much that can be learned from documentary. There's so many lessons that I've learned in documentary work. And there's so much that I've wrapped my head around that, that can be applied to really any shoot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not, you know, if there's a production rule book, it doesn't say anything about that. But that's something that I bring. And, you know, you have producers out there that are working specifically for, you know, there's a reason that I don't produce live events. That, that's a whole nother animal. But there are people that get that. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. And that's what they bring to the table. Because a lot of times those people, um, before being a producer, they were a performer or they were a stage manager. They, they understand that. They know the language. They know the dynamic of it. So whatever it is that you're doing, be really good at that. But re- be really good at something else as well. Good advice. That's really good advice. So where can people learn more about you? About me? Um, A lot of my work and my bio and my my me is at uh, tooktake.com. It's T-O-O-K-T-A-K-E.com. I think that's a great name. And uh, you can go there and see some of my work and see my bio and some links to some uh, interviews that I've done with uh, Gary right here. And before we say goodbye, tell us about your new project, which is really pretty cool. Absolutely. I think it's cool. I'm excited about this. Bug photography? (laughs) <laughs> even bigger than that it's bigger than bugs so i would don't worry i won't talk about big hairy spiders like the one that's on your back yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't like that i don't like that blaine i don't like thinking about it I don't like looking at it so uh so sitting behind this microphone right now is actually the first time i'll be behind our microphone um many times over the next couple of days i'm launching um, a project that's been in my mind for quite a while um, and the title of the project is the amateur 
And it's a, it's a podcast series that I'm hoping to take to have some motion component to it um, down the road as well. Um, but as it's interesting, as I've been a producer and as I've been asked to submit bios and submit, you know, just kind of, you know, the about me, um, a lot of times I list in there, you know, aside from a producer and, and fine artist, I'm an amateur, uh, amateur astrophysicist, amateur entomologist, not pro cyclist. And so I list all, you know, it's basically all, all my, all my side interests. And as I started to list things, these things out that, that really excite me. I came to this realization that these are all professions that most would say are not essential to our survival. You know, these people aren't the, the doctors and the firefighters and whatnot that, that we rely on every day. But every one of these people, every one of these professions is providing more depth and more character and more interest to our lives. So I'm setting, as the amateur, I'm setting out to interview the professionals. So I, I'm talking to a professional mountain biker and an entomologist and an astrophysicist and a lot of people that kind of, you know, tick off the list, the, you know, the items on my list of like, these are the things that I think are really cool. And it, the conversations aren't about what are you doing now or, you know, what's your next big thing? It's like, why does what you do matter? And it's really giving uh, these professions a platform to say, you know, why does what you do matter to to society, to each one of us. And it's, a, you know, allowing them to kind of answer the, the devil's advocate or to the naysayers of, well, you know, you're, you're not contributing to everyday society, but it, it's, you know, it, it's coming back to the old phrase, you know, that's that which is least essential for survival is the most says, yeah, I'm going to try that again. <laughs> that is the least essential for survival yeah. is the most necessary to feel alive. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, I think it's a really cool series. I can't wait to see where it goes, and I can't wait to hear it. So I wish you the best of luck with it. Thanks, I'm excited. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming. Thanks for having me here. It's been a few months. It has been. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. It's been a while since we had a beer. So, with that. Let's wrap this puppy up, huh, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. Where can people find us? Quick oh, pop on, quiz. on MySpace.com? No. <laughs> no. Not on MySpace. AOL? Well. No. Do you guys Snapchat? Not, not a... Uh, no, no, not really. No, okay. we, we, you know. What's Snapchat? So to download this episode and the entire season, you can go to rggedupodcast.com and also stream it instantly where we publish a new episode on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Stitcher. and Google. Google. We really should do Michael space. Google. I'm, di- I'm kind of disappointed we haven't done MySpace yet. I actually made the account. I just haven't. Will you publish it? I keep Call Justin Timberlake. For like how about, three I, gi- how about I give you the login? Yeah. I'm going to lose that. We have No, you have the access to our password. It's in there. Mm-hmm. Ooh. It, no, the magic you can, you can log in and, you know, make an account somewhere. You can make a platform. you got access to the logos. <sighs> you know where work. things are at. We could knock make this some out friends. in an hour. Yeah. Like you it. could be done by 5 o'clock. Today. I like it more when you're responsible for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you do it. Oh. <laughs> Pretty much. Gary, make me a sandwich. Cut it the way that you do it. Uh. Sometimes. Thank you, Blaine. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. No one is certain what kind of tea Gary and Robert bonded over that day. Perhaps it was Florida Delight or Mediterranean Moonblend. Maybe it was Dances with Dragonberry. Maybe these aren't even tea flavors. Maybe they're candles. Season 5 of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by Me Video, who starts each day with one simple goal to create really well made, easy to use travel tripods in a range of sizes and materials for today's on the go photographers. Me Photo, 
Travel light, set up fast, have fun, be brilliant. <laughs>